Welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology. This podcast accompanies the issue, which is now available online, and we're discussing one of the papers that are in the issue, which is a population-based study assessing the prevalence, characteristics, and associations for symptom-based Rome for functional dyspepsia in adults, and this looks at the USA, Canada, and the UK. Joining us to discuss this paper is one of the authors, Dr. Imran Aziz. Welcome. Please can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, uh, my name is uh, Dr. Imran Aziz. I am a consultant gastroenterologist and I'm currently working as a postdoctoral research fellow. Great, thank you for joining us. So what is functional dyspepsia? So uh, dyspepsia are uh, symptoms that are referable to the gastroduodenal region. Reassuringly, the majority of people with dyspepsia, and by that I mean over 70% of adults with dyspepsia, will not have an organic pathology to explain their symptoms. So that is, they will not have a peptic ulcer or a gastric cancer, etc. Instead, these patients can be defined as having functional dyspepsia. You can then go on to subdivide functional dyspepsia into two main variants. These are either the postprandial distress syndrome variant, which can be abbreviated to PDS, or the epigastric pain syndrome variant, which can be abbreviated to EPS. And of course, then there's individuals that can have the overlap of both. Now, what we mean by PDS is that these are meal-related symptoms. That is, a patient complains of feeling excessively full after a regular-sized meal or is not able to complete a regular-sized meal. In contrast, EPS, or epigastric pain syndrome, is where the individual complains of pain or burning in the epigastric region. Now, the recognition of functional dyspepsia and its definition have been proposed by the Rome Foundation, which is an organization, that, organization that's been around for nearly 30 years and comprises a panel of international experts uh, within the field of functional gut disorders who every decade or so consolidate all the high-quality scientific evidence and provide up-to-date guidance and criteria. In fact, of, as of May of 2016, we've now moved on to the Rome 4 criteria for functional gut disorders. For your study, what question did you set out to address and how did you approach it? And what makes your study unique compared to other ones that have already looked into functional dyspepsia? So if we look at the population prevalence of dyspepsia, this has been reported to be around 20% based on a meta-analysis of approximately 100 studies. However, this prevalence varies from around 30% if you use broad historical definitions of dyspepsia like upper abdominal pain, including reflux, to around 10% if you use more refined criteria like that proposed by the Rome Foundation. Moreover, when you start pooling these studies together, even within the domains of the criteria that's been used to define dyspepsia, you know that there is substantial heterogeneity between the studies with regards to the sample size and the methodology that was used to collect the data. In fact, no study, to our knowledge, has evaluated the prevalence of functional dyspepsia across multiple countries using the Rome criteria. I also think it's important to mention that if we look at the Rome 3 criteria for functional dyspepsia, which, uh, by the way, is similar to Rome 4, but uh, different from previous uh, iterations, there have only been seven studies, of which one was from the Western world. What we set out to do was to address these issues by being the first study to systematically and homogeneously explore the prevalence, characteristics, and associations for symptom-based Rome 4 functional dyspepsia across three English-speaking countries. 
and by that I mean the United States, uh, United Kingdom and Canada. It could also be said that what makes our study even more unique is that we are using the most contemporaneous definition, i.e. Rome 4, although something like this has not been done for any of the previous Rome criteria. With regards to how did we uh, approach this uh, study, we performed a cross-sectional internet-based health survey in adults across the US, Canada and UK. There were approximately 2,000 adults from each of the three countries, and we used quarter-based sampling for age, sex, race and education to generate demographically balanced and population representative samples. We then asked participants to complete an online general health survey without any mention that we were interested in their gastrointestinal symptoms. I think it's also important to mention that within the internet survey, we built in quality assurance methods to detect inconsistent responders and exclude them if necessary. And we also ensured that there was no missing data uh, as subjects had to complete each applicable question before they were allowed to move on to the next step. Now, within the survey itself, we inquired for demographic data, quality of life, somatization, healthcare utilization, and the presence of functional gut disorders using the Rome 4 diagnostic questionnaire and its subsequent scoring system. And from this, we were able to identify those who had symptom-based criteria for functional dyspepsia and compare it against those who did not. So why do you think it's important to understand the prevalence of these disorders? So it, it's, well, it's well known that functional dyspepsia incurs a considerable impact on quality of life, healthcare, utilisation and the prevalence of uh, overlapping functional gut disorders such as IBS and heartburn. However, there, is, there seems to be a paucity of data looking at the individual functional dyspepsia subtypes. Moreover, studies uh, tend to focus on one or two health-related parameters rather than concurrently overseeing multiple health-related parameters. Finally, there's been some conflicting data with regards to somatization of functional dyspepsia. So I feel our study uh, has allowed us to address these uncertainties as it provides information on multiple health-related parameters across all functional dyspepsia subtypes. So you've mentioned a bit already about the proportion of people with functional dyspepsia, but based on your analysis what proportion of people are living with it in the US, UK and Canada? So we found that overall approximately 10% of the adult population fulfilled Rome 4 diagnostic criteria for functional dyspepsia. We did know, however, that there was a high prevalence of functional dyspepsia in the United States. That was 12% compared to Canada and the UK, which was 8% each. Now, with regards to the individual subtypes, we noted that by far the most commonest subtype was the postprandial distress syndrome or the PDS variant, which represented around 60% of cases, followed by a relatively even split between EPS on its own and the overlapping variant. What was also interesting is that this pattern was seen similarly across all three countries. We then looked at the subjects with functional dyspepsia and found that they had greater health impairment and healthcare utilisation than the non-dyspeptic controls. And in particular, those with the overlapping variant had the greatest uh, impairments, for example, with regards to quality of life, somatization, healthcare utilization, and overlapping functional good disorders than those that had, either had EPS on its own or PDS on its own. So you said there in your results that the USA had a higher prevalence than the UK or Canada. What do you think might account for this difference? This is a very interesting observation, and the differences could not be explored within our study. However, possible explanations include genetic factors as well as other factors such as cultural differences, socioeconomic status, dietary factors and environmental factors. 
In fact, there has been a systematic review that has noted that certain risk factors for dyspepsia include smoking, uh, taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and having Helicobacter pylori. But none of, none of these were examined in our particular study. But the thing to mention is that in our study, what we did find, going back to the last question, is that PDS was by far the most commonest subtype. But interestingly, it seemed to show the least association with overlapping functional good disorders such as IBS and heartburn, so which might suggest that PDS has a different pathophysiology to EPS and other functional good disorders. And in fact, over the last 10 years, there has been data showing that subjects with PDS have increased number of eosinophils within the duodenum, which might suggest that there's a potential infective or an allergic component to this particular dyspeptic subtype. Moreover, in line with this, there's been another study that's shown that subjects with functional dyspepsia have an increased prevalence of atopic disorders such as asthma, which are also conditions associated with eosinophils. So there might be a link here. It may be worthwhile tracking how the prevalence of asthma correlates with functional dyspepsia, and in particular for, for its PDS subtype amongst the countries. And hopefully by identifying a potential association and trigger, we can potentially provide therapy. You've mentioned there some of the, the factors that have been associated with PDS, such as smoking, diet, asthma. What are some of the other factors that are associated with the other forms of functional dyspepsia? Some common associations that were seen across all functional dyspepsia subtypes include a poor quality of life and the presence of functional heartburn or IBS. However, the, uh, the association for IBS or functional heartburn was greatest for the overlapping variant followed by EPS but least for the PDS variant, suggesting that there may be a different pathophysiology for the PDS variant. What we also found is that somatization was associated with PDS but not with EPS, which in fact goes in line with previous publications. What we also noted is that antidepressants, uh, which could be referred to as neuromodulators, showed a reduced association with functional dyspepsia, and especially for PDS, with a trend towards EPS. And I feel that this might be important as, on the whole, there's a relative lack of effective therapies for functional dyspepsia, and maybe we should focus more on determining the role of neuromodulators in functional dyspepsia. Uh, and in fact, there, there has been a, a recent uh, systematic review that supports the role of neuromodulators in functional dyspepsia. And by that, I mean tricyclic antidepressants and antipsychotics, but not SSRIs where the evidence shows that these are not effective for uh, functional dyspepsia. However, this systematic review also acknowledges that there's a lack of, uh, relative lack of high-quality randomized control trials. So maybe our study suggests that we should be paying more attention here. Finally... What questions are brought into focus by your study that you think should be prioritised for future research? So hopefully 